Welcome to Tips from the Server Room. This podcast is designed for all you systems admins, network specialists, or the guys and gals out there in the office who handles it all. Sit back, relax, grab a beverage, and enjoy Tips from the Server Room. Welcome back once again to Tips from the Server Room. This is episode number 115 for May the 2nd, 2017. I'm your host, Jack. I'm going to help guide you into, through, and back out of the world of systems administration, network administrations, and all fields of IT. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Check out all the great tech shows at techpodcast.com. Folks, if you're learning to be a server administrator or if you've been a server administrator for years and you just wanted some refreshers or maybe you're just not boned up quite on DNS or DHCP or, you know, maybe making uh, multiple hosts off of one server, off of websites, check out my great, great learning series. You can learn Windows Server 2008 R2 or Windows Server 2012 R2. Go to itproedu.com. That's IT. P-R-O-E-D-U dot com. Get started on your future today. Please check out the website for the show at tipsfromtheserverroom.com where you can comment on these shows. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, I would love to hear from you. And you can email me at jackstechcorner at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and as at technoman. Folks, I want to first clear up a couple things here. There's been some troubles, and I think I told you in the past a little bit about some troubles with the feeds. Uh, the feeds haven't been really feeding properly, and I've been going around and around and around trying to get these feeds corrected. So what I did was I set up a feed burner, and if you've ever used feed burner, I guess now Google owns it, um, of all things. But uh, So Google owns feed burner. And what I did was I set it up. So if you go to tipsfromtheserverroom.com, you can click on that and you can use the feed burner link and you can uh, then set that into your podcatcher uh, of whatever brand you use, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But set that up in there and then you can follow the feed. And as I post new shows, they will be delivered directly to you. Also, I did get re-syndicated back across iTunes. So the show is once again back on iTunes. Uh, again, when the feed went dead, something happened. And iTunes wasn't picking up the feed any longer. So I had to reapply to FeedBurner. And I mean, I reapplied to iTunes and I had to get the show back listed on iTunes. So it is now back up and running on iTunes. So that's two ways you can catch the show each week. And I hope that you do that. Uh, there's still many of you uh, pulling the show. And I even use an old feed from somewhere on my podcatcher on the uh, the iPhone. And that feed is still working, and I'm not sure where exactly that feed's coming from, but it is pulling the show down. So that's that's a that's a big plus, I guess, on our end here. So, folks, I want to talk to you a little bit tonight in this show. I thought we would talk a little bit about networking and controlling packet flow using VLANs. And um, I've been doing a lot of this lately at work. Uh, we put all brand new switches in. We're using Stream networking gear, and a lot of you know or have heard me talk about being a Cisco man. Uh, I've been a Cisco guy for, man, years. I've been programming Cisco uh, routers. Uh, even back when we owned our own internet business, uh, we had a Cisco router uh, and a Cisco switch back then. 
Yeah, you know, and people think when you own your own internet business, it's funny. Just as a backstory, there was people would come into the office and they would say, "Hey, we want to see your servers." And what's all running back there in that secret room you have? You know that that you know you have set to you know fifty degrees. Uh, it's climate controlled and everything's running in there. And when they came in, they were really blown away by basically we had two servers running. Uh, we had an authentication server, and we also had a email server running. And on top of the authentication server, we actually hosted our website on there. So it was a very small uh, setup as far as size go, if you think not like of rack space or any of those. People were pretty amazed to see that in that room, I mean, that's all it was there. And, uh, amongst the, what did we have? We had uh, maybe 150 um, modems running, 150 different modems from a, a couple of different brands. I remember um, U.S. Robotics. If you remember U.S. Robotics modems, we had those running. Um, but we had like 150 of these things running. So, uh, And all those went back into one server to do the authentication platform, and, and it worked very, very well. But they were blown away. They were, oh, we thought you'd have racks and racks of servers. And I said, you know, back then it didn't take that. It might take that today, but it didn't take that back then. But today we're going to talk a little bit about VLANing, packet flow using VLANs, and why that's so critical uh, as I said, at work right now, we are uh, currently involved in a major networking upgrade. Um, <clears throat> this is really, really huge, and <clears throat> I've been looking at it the wrong way because when I first drew it up, I drew up my plans, as anybody would when you're starting to design a new network, and I laid out my MDF and then my IDFs, right? So I laid my IDFs out, and I drew lines to them connecting them because everything comes back to the MDF via uh, 10 gigabit fiber. And that's all well and good. But when you're planning out a network of this size, I'm talking we have a total of, uh, I think right now there's eight IDFs and one MDF. Okay, so that makes sense. But what I was looking at was that eight IDFs and then all the clients and all the telephones on the outskirts of that. So I was drawing this out, and it became very, um, very apparent to me that it was becoming very, very overwhelming. Um, it was to the point where I couldn't wrap my head around it and be able to uh, get this really encapsulated into my brain. So and what I did, first of all, I laid out all the network with all the IDFs. I went out to each IDF. And, and I counted the number of ports I was going to need. The next thing I did was laid out on that drawing was how many switches or how many total ports I need per IDF. Now that helps you because at least now you have a, a global look at your network, so to speak, I guess. I guess it's a global look at your internal network uh, for the back, lack of better terminology. But So when I looked at that and I was starting to get overwhelmed, so here's what I did. I started breaking it down a little bit. First of all, I took each IDF and I worried about who would be on that particular switch or who would be on that bank of switches. And when I was looking at the stack and I was looking at the ports, I would very carefully write down how many VLANs we needed to have. And sitting there, and we would sit and discuss this with the network engineer, and we would go over this thing and look at it a lot of different ways. And we started to figure out who needed what and where they would be connecting. Let's say, for instance, and, and this is just one instance, if you ha have a office staff, all right, let's say you have an administration office staff. Well, the administration office staff is going to plug into 
the closest IDF to the administration office, okay, just like if you're in a business. If you're in a business, we always talk about maybe you have a secretarial pool, uh, maybe you have a sales team, um, and that sales team is connecting into that closest IDF possible to that sales team. So when we set a VLAN up, say we set up a VLAN sales, okay, and the VLAN sales is plugged into that particular IDF. Well, you know that maybe uh, on the other side of your building, maybe in another school, if you're working in a school district, there is not a, uh, a salesperson in that part of the building. So that IDF does not need that VLAN assigned to it. That's going to help you in two, two ways. One, it's going to start zeroing down your network so you can concentrate more of a localized network more than that global network view, right? The next thing it's going to help you with is security. We don't want anybody to be able to walk into that IDF, uh, jack a laptop in there, pick up an IP address for the sales team, and be able to be on their network. So it's a definite security advantage if you only put the VLANs out there that you need. Now, in doing this, when we were writing this out, we started looking at it, and we started jotting it down. And I started saying, well, every single IDF in the entire uh, organization, in the entire network, has to have the VLAN for your IP phones. So your IP phones are on a VLAN. Let's say it's a VLAN 9, for instance. So VLAN 9 could be actually tagged across all of them, right? Because we know that we can plug a computer into that phone. So on top of the phone being tagged for, say, 9, you may have that uh, that office or that sales team VLAN to VLAN 20. So at that point, what we would do is tag the VLAN for VLAN 7, the port, and we would also untag it for the other VLAN 20, let's say, and that will give the IP address to the computer that we need to get to the computer. So I hope that makes a lot of sense to you. Uh, but the, the main thing I'm telling you here is when you're building it, take that network and shrink it down. So that's what we're doing right now. We shrunk everything down. We're working in one particular closet with one part of our buildings. And when I did that, I'm able to really, really narrow down each port and what they're used for. Now, here's something to think about. And, and I've done this in the past, so I'm sure maybe you have done it also in the past. This is just something to think about. Is running everything on the default VLAN 1. Every switch ever created from any vendor out there always has the default VLAN 1, and all your traffic will pass on there. So it makes it very easy for us to put a brand new switch in. Let's say you just paid uh, $2,500 for a switch uh, or more for a managed switch, uh, layer 2 that you can put your VLANs on there, and you plug everybody in and the network starts running. Well, good to go. You go back to your office. You feel very accomplished. You did a good job. But actually what you did was you wasted a lot of company money because at that point we could buy unmanaged switches, which are going to run on VLAN 1, throw them in the racks, plug everybody in. Um, everybody – you can get a gigabit off of each port, but everybody's going to be running on VLAN 1. What happens then, folks? Well, here's what happens. You start getting a lot of uh, broadcast traffic. So you get all this broadcast traffic on the network, printers. Uh, and today we're using a lot more Macs on the network. So we have the Bonjour, the Bonjour running across for the Apple stuff being uh, transmitted back and forth. 
uh, with iPads or with Apple TVs. Um, a lot of people are using now uh, ways of wirelessly broadcasting their desktop to their projectors. And all of that is running broadcast traffic. So if you run everything on VLAN 1, you're going to start getting a lot of crashes, a lot of network crashes. And we've talked about that before in the past. Uh, I've seen it happen a million times where you'll start getting so much broadcast traffic on a network, it starts to slow your network down to a crawl. And really, I mean, think about it. Everything's running at a gig. It should be fine. But when you have that much traffic, uh, it's like taking a two-lane road and putting you know, 50 semi-tractor trailers on there side by side, and you're trying to drive a car through the center of it. Right? It's, it could be done, but it's probably pretty tough to do so. So it becomes an extreme waste of money for you to do that. So we need to set up VLANs. But how many VLANs are too many? Well, I don't really know. Uh, when I first sat down and I looked at some uh, preliminary network stuff that was uh, done at one time, we started looking at the VLANs. Who created this many VLANs? I mean, do you really need a separate VLAN for each printer? Uh, do you really need a separate VLAN for a printer or a copier? Both of them are basically printers, right? Um, do you need separate VLANs for your Apple TVs and your iPads? Because they should both be on the same network anyway, so they can uh, broadcast their screen to the Apple TV and show it on their projectors. So really, really look down, narrow things down, and, and start to figure out what you want to VLAN and how you want to VLAN those out. And once you get that document, live by that document. Don't go out to your switch, and, and this is something that uh, people will do occasionally. I've done it in the past when I'm out to switch. I think, oh, this is a great idea. Let's add this VLAN. Um, you know, we're going to VLAN, uh, VLAN, I don't know, uh, uh, 150, and we're going to take VLAN 150 and feed the uh, filters on the fish tank or something silly. Um, but you don't need those. Stick to your original plan. That's what you want to do. Hold on to that original plan and live by that plan. That's the main key here. Um, because that document becomes your living and breathing document for your network. So don't vary from that document. Uh, as far as how many VLANs is too many, um, I don't really know. I guess it's too many for you to uh, – once you look at it, if it's too many for you to wrap your head around it, I would say that that is too many. Uh, keep it – they always say – they always hold in the military kiss, right? Keep it simple, stupid. So if you keep it as simple as possible and it functions – then you're okay. Um, I would suggest, however, uh, by department, have your VLAN set up. You could VLAN your printer traffic out. I would recommend that because they do like to communicate on the network and keep saying, like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. They do produ produce a lot of broadcast traffic. Uh, VLAN your phones out just so you get some crystal clear uh, communications on your IP uh, phones, your IP telepathy phones, and make sure those are working very, very well. Um, but other than that, I mean, maybe your servers, you want to VLAN those out for security reasons. So we can say, look, this VLAN is allowed into this particular server, but these VLANs are not. And that can save you a lot down the road. Uh, it might have been able to save some of these places that have all these people going in and stealing all the credit card stuff, right? Uh, hacking into their systems. Well, if they hacked in and they just happened to be on the wrong VLAN, they would never have got to those servers in the first place. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's like a, it's, and I always tell people that with firewalls, a firewall is as only good or as only as bad as the hacker trying to get into it. Because if you want to get into a lock bad enough, they will get into it. 
So that's the that's the ticket with how many VLANs. I'm not really uh, sure. I can't really give you a, a down pat. Say, well, 50 is enough. Um, you know, 25 is good. Um, it's, it's totally based on your network and how you want to run things. Now, how do VLANs find their IP address on your DHCP server? This is something that a lot of guys out there don't quite understand. Because when you do your routing in your Layer 3 switch, all of your routing is going to a default gateway. And your DHCP server is sitting out there and is listening all day for people that need an IP address. Well, if you're on a network and you make a request for a DHCP address, why doesn't it just go back to the DHCP server and say, hey, give me an address, and it says, here's your address, you know, 192.1.whatever. Well, the true story behind it is the VLAN itself you're on has a default gateway. When it goes back to that DHCP server, you should have all of your VLANs that you're going to hand out addresses via, via, via DHCP and have those set so that DHCP server will say, oh, you're coming from this default gateway. I see that. Here's an IP from this bank. Oh, you're coming through that VLAN with that default gateway. Here's your IP address. It works extremely well. And it's extremely fast. I've had people in the past ask me, they said, look, do you have to have multiple DHCP servers for each particular VLAN? And the answer is no, you do not. Should you have a backup DHCP server? Sure. If you can afford it or if there's a place on the network where you can put the backup DHCP server, it's not a bad idea. Uh, but just make sure it's set up where it's not the primary to hand out the addresses. It's just a fallback in case the primary cannot be reached. That's very important. You don't want two DHCP servers on your network handing out addresses all day because it's going to get pretty confusing to you. The next thing is when you hook somebody to a VLAN, when you plug them into that, that port and you go to your computer and you SSH into your switch and you're into the switch and you say, look, I want this particular person's computer on that VLAN 20 we set up for uh, cells. So once you do that and you know your IP scheme is, let's say it's 192.20, whatever, okay, uh, or 10.20, whatever you're using, make sure that you open up a command prompt and type ipconfig and check out, make sure that computer is getting the proper IP address. That way we know for sure 100% that they're on the proper network that we want to assign them and there's no problem. Uh, the people are going to be very, very pleased. Uh, we're having a lot of great comments coming back that the network is starting to speed up uh, 100% faster than what it was. Uh, people are noticing great speed jumps in their internet and the bandwidth that they're getting for internet. Um, they're noticing a great speed jump in their cloud-based uh, storage, be that Google Drive, uh, and also on their local storage on our servers. They notice that, that documents and stuff are popping open on their screen. They say it used to kind of drag but now it's popping. And, you know, that's because you're taking a network where there was, I don't know, somewhere in the excess of 2,000 nodes out there running across uh, VLAN 1. And now you're breaking that network down. And the most that I can really uh, seriously think in my head is probably um, like laptops would be maybe, you know, uh, maybe 300 devices on, on one network. That's the top uh, but the office staff, most of the office staff VLANs are running probably no more than um, 
25 people on a network. So they're pretty much untouched all the way back out through the default gateway. And it works extremely, extremely well. Highly recommend this uh, move in your network. And I think it's a great, great uh, thing to do. But take your time. You know, draw it out. Now, we want to talk about... Um, we're going to break down a little bit. Uh, well, we talked about breaking the network down to manageable segments to have easier control for you. When we did this, we started sitting there and breaking everything down to manageable segments. Once we did that, as I said, it, it's a piece of cake because your network has become really, really uh, to that point where it is absolutely easier to manage, you know, two or three switches in a rack than it is to manage you know, uh, 50 switches on your network. And you're going to break those down and work at each individual switch as long as it takes. Uh, we've been doing this now for uh, about a week, uh, total about a week in, in one closet, working on a switch, moving people over one at a time. Because what we're actually also doing is we're going out to classrooms or you're going out to business or you're going out to your offices. Get the patch number off the wall Make sure it corresponds to the patch number in your rack, and then you're going to do this next thing, folks, and this is the key to your success. It's very, very easy to do. Document, document, document. What I've been documenting, I started, I, I made a spreadsheet, and I put all the ports down first. The next column is what VLAN that port is on. The next column is what patch does it go to, what um, patch, you know, the wall patch, and then I go to the rack patch. Um, and then we go all the way down to the color of the wire that we're plugging into it. Uh, and that's another thing. When you're documenting, make a color code sheet so all your technicians know if they go out there to hook up a phone, it's this color uh, patch cable. If they go out there to hook up a, a security camera, it's this color patch cable. Make sure they know that. I think that's very, very critical because when I walk into a rack and I see a green cable, I automatically know it's a phone. I don't even have to think because I know that color – well, I wrote the color code chart. So I know it's green as a phone, right? Very, very simple. Gray, to me, gray is, is a network patch. Uh, it's for a PC. Uh, black is a security camera. Um, you know, So it's very easy to see this stuff. Um, and then we use uh, purple. All the purple cables are for our wireless access points. So I know as soon as I see a purple cable in any rack plugged into any port, it better be it better be a wireless access point. That's what I want it to be. But document this stuff because down the road, when you go down the road and you go to work on something in a room or you go to work on something in somebody's office, uh, you're called into the CEO's office um, or the superintendent's office if you're in a school district, and they go, my network just crashed. My internet's no longer working. You don't want to have to say, okay, well, you know, boss, I tell you what, we're going to tone this out. It's going to take us you know, a couple of days to find out where the wire goes. Uh, you don't want to do that. You want to open up your document and say, "Oh, there you are. You're on. You know, you're on port um, uh, two, two uh, ten, and you're plugged into you know two fifteen in the rack, um, and it's your computer. So we know it's a gray cable or whatever color code you're using, uh, and you can get your boss up and running great, very very fast. And uh, the boss is very happy with that. Um, it's been extremely uh, getting some extremely great compliments on rebuilding the network and how things are going. So. I think that's key. Um, one other thing is keep your boss updated. I think that's the key element here is when you're going to do something like this, you're going to have network uh, network 
interruptions or disruptions or uh, the network's going to go up and down. It's just the nature of the game. Um, we do most of the stuff, believe me, believe it or not, during the day. Uh, we don't go in in the evening. We don't go in on the weekend. Now, we are going to rewire the server rack. The servers, we're going to do those on a weekend because that's going to cause some major disruptions. But as far as the network patch, if, if I unplug your phone for, you know, five minutes to bring you up on a new port, or if I unplug your computer for a minute or two uh, to bring you up on a super fast uh, network on the VLAN, you're going to be so, the, the the client or the customer is going to be so happy that they're not going to worry about it. But keep your boss up to date. You don't want anything to ever get back to your boss saying, look, uh, they're in that closet every day. They're messing with my network. My wireless goes down. My printer won't print, blah, 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 blah. And your boss is going to say, I know. They're making some changes and improvements to the overall network. And it's going to be a, a, a large plus and a boost to everybody's uh, daily workload. So uh, the boss will be happy that they're informed. I inform my boss once a week to what's going on. And I, I keep them uh, keep them very, very much updated to what is happening in the overall scheme of things. I think that's extremely important uh, for a relationship between you and your boss. So, um, And most times, you know, the boss is very, very happy. Um, you know, I'm not asked to really explain anything. I'm just asked to give an update, you know, what's going to be going up and down. And uh, I don't need to say why. And, and nobody seems to, you know, um, nobody gets in there and says, well, you could do it this way or that way, make it better. And it's based on me. There's a lot of trust back on me to say, look, we trust you. You're doing a great job. Uh, just, you know, make it the best it can be with the money that we spent out. So that's what you want to do. Make sure that you keep everybody up to date. It's very, very important. Folks, that's about it on VLANs. Uh, we're not going to go into the uh, part of setting them up and hooking them up, and I'm sure you know how to do all that. Um, and, and, you know, it's based on your gear. Your gear might be very, very different than what gear I'm using right now. Like I said, we are using extreme networking gear. Uh, it wasn't too much of a learning cur curve for me. I've been programming Cisco gear for years and years. Um, and like many of you, I've used Cisco Packet Tracer. So when I design circuits and networks, um, I design them in Cisco Packet Tracer, which the coding is way different than extreme. But once you catch on to it, I can fire off uh, command lines onto Extreme switches now uh, in my sleep. It's just so easy to do. And, and I actually think it's easier uh, than Cisco because you don't have to do that config T and all that. You can just go right in, pump your commands in there. The only thing you got to remember when you're programming any switch out there or any networking gear is to always save your configuration. Save, save, save. I try to make it a habit. When I make any change, I hit save configuration. Because if there's a power outage and that, that switch reboots, your configuration is going to be gone, and then you're not going to know why your ports are not working. Uh, of course, we can go back to our documentation, and we know what ports on which VLAN is documented very well. We can reprogram it, but it's going to take you a little bit of time. Once you do get your switches all programmed and everything moved over to the new switches, I back up the config file to my computer, and then I save that onto, onto my Google Drive. Uh, under you know, and you name each one of those configuration files based on where that IDF or MDF is located. That way, if anything would ever go down, if it would crash, if a switch would break and you have to replace it, you can very easily re-upload your config file to that switch uh, using TFTP, and everything is fine. You can turn it back on. You know, well, it would be on, but it would come up and it would just start working like your other one did. So back up your config files. Very, very important. Folks, once again, don't forget those feeds. Uh, go to the website, 
tipsfromtheserveroom.com. There's a link there for the feed burner. Uh, I believe if you click on that, you will get the feed in your browser. Uh, you can take that that feed itself, and I don't know if I can bring that up here. I'm going to take a look here real quick and see if I can bring that up. Um, actually, it's just feeds.feedburner.com slash tipsfromtheserverroom. Again, feeds.feedburner.com tipsfromtheserverroom. So yes, it did come up. Uh, it's very easy, like I said, to use, and you can use that feed if you want. Or, like I said, you can now pick us up on iTunes. Uh, we are also on iTunes. And we're still working. I keep sending messages to the Tech Podcast Network, and they just don't respond. I don't know why they're not responding. Uh, we've been members of Tech Podcast for years with this show, and I'm not getting any response. So if you know anybody over at Tech Podcast, maybe give them a buzz or give them an email and say, hey, work with tips from the server room and get their feedback on uh, the, the Tech Podcast Network. Um, but I have not received any responses for two weeks, and I've been trying and trying to get a hold of them. Don't forget, again, if you want to learn Windows Server 2008 R2 or 2012 R2, go to itproedu.com. That's itproedu.com. Click on the class. All you got to do is register for that class. They're very inexpensive, and when you're completed, you will receive a certificate in the mail of completion. And you can use that with to look for jobs. You can use it on your resume. Uh, it's just a great, great resource for you uh, to learn more about Windows servers. And folks, I know that you know, I know that you know that I have an Amazon link. But if you go to tipsandserverroom.com, make sure you shut off your, your uh, ad blockers because it will block that ad. So shut your ad blocker off. And use my link for anything you buy at Amazon.com. I truly appreciate it. You know, your price stays the same. A small portion comes back to the show, and it does help me out. Helps me to buy gear for the shows. Uh, it just helps to support everything. You know, I still have to pay for the domain name, right? So anything here we have to pay for, we use that money for that, and that's solely what we use it for. So again, go to tipsfromtheserverroom.com and use that Amazon link. Folks, thank you so much for joining me here each week. Thanks for subscribing to the shows. Thanks for downloading them. I do appreciate it. I would hope that you would get some questions in here. Again, that's at jackstechcorner at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. So until next week, take care, everybody, and I'll talk to you on the next show. Bye-bye for now. You just listened to Tips from the Server Room with your host, Jack. If you have any questions, please drop me a comment at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Thanks again for tuning in and downloading the shows. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the remainder of the music. We'll see you next week on Tips from the Server Room. So long. <laughs>